Welcome to Research Conversations, a podcast powered by the Digital Legal Lab. Hi, everyone. My name is Iris. I'm a PhD student uh, from the Law and Tech Lab of Master University. And uh, today I'm honored to uh, introduce three guests for uh, this episode. Uh, we have Professor Roland Cahill, who is the Classica Coordinator, and he is the Director of the Center for Precision Surgery, UCD, and the Digital Surgery uh, Unit, MMUH. Uh, we also have Professor uh, Sarah Gurka, uh, who is the head of the Penn State uh, Dickinson Law Study, and she is an uh, assistant professor of law at Penn State Dickinson Law. Her research focuses on the ethical and legal challenges of artificial intelligence and big data for healthcare and health law in the United States and Europe. Uh, we have uh, Professor Mindy Nunes Dufour, who is a member of Penn State's classical legal research team, and she is an assistant professor of private law and a member of the Maastricht Law and Tech Lab. Uh, she researches in the area of comparative health law, health law and technology. So our guests will tell us about their interdisciplinary work on the EU-funded project Classica, which stands for validating AI in classifying cancer in real-time surgery. So perhaps, uh, Professor Cahill, you can start with telling us what the Classica project is about. Thanks, thanks, Iris. Yeah, so the Classica project is trying to help surgeons make better decisions when it comes to determining the tissues they're seeing with them in the operation. So it's a really exciting time in technology. Um, but surgery in particular still stays rooted in in the surgeon making the decisions as to what to do in, in the case. So with minimally invasive operations, you put a camera into a person, the image of the interior of that person is presented back to the surgeon who uses their judgment, their experience and their training to make decisions on what best to do with it. Now, that's been good, uh, but we feel that there's a great potential for AI technology to help surgeons make better decisions everywhere that these operations are done. So the area we're particularly interested in is in uh, people with big polyps. Uh, bowel cancer is a common problem in the world. Uh, it's a great cause of morbidity and mortality to both genders. Um, and we know that if you can detect it at an early stage, you can cure it. So there's been a lot of effort around the world to do screening, programs and educate people to present earlier when they have uh, symptoms. Um, but sometimes when you see a big polyp, uh, it's not clear, is it a cancer or is it not a cancer? And the two treatments, depending on which it is, are very, very different. So the problem clinicians have is that a cancer can look like a benign polyp um, and sometimes benign polyps can have features that look like a cancer. And when you take a sample, when you take a biopsy, it's only a millimeter sample of a polyp that could be three or four centimeters in size. So it suffers from sampling errors. So the biopsy may not be representative about it. And also the biopsy takes a few days to come back after it's done. So often surgeons have to make a decision based on what they feel it is. Um, and right now they're about 80% accurate. So we think this could be better if they could get a better type of digital characterization of the of, of the sample. Because the polyps can look the same, whether they're benign or cancerous, it's not possible just to just to take surface features for it. So the, so the classic tool is a method of looking at the perfusion, how the cancer, how the tissue there is behaving 
um, and present that back to the surgeon in a way that seems to prove very ac accurate. So a dye is given, the dye flows through the tissues, the computer uh, to the camera looks at the tissues and it compares the pattern of flow in the abnormal place, the polyp, compared to the normal tissue beside it. And in moments then, is uh, the software can classify the differential perfusion patterns and present it back in a simple way to the surgeon to tell them how much of it is cancer um, and where the margins of it are. So it's a pretty egg, exciting tool. But of course, we need to validate it. This is an important area uh, for our patients. So the classic study is validating that in every way, making robust software that uh, has good quality um, in training and learning how surgeons make decisions and in making sure that this is as accurate as 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 it can, can be because it's it's a very important area. That sounds super exciting, but uh, I'm wondering how now where do lawyers come in for this project? Uh, does this AI-driven tag fall under laws relating to medical devices or is it more complex? Thank you, Iris, for this question. So it's actually a little bit of both. There are already existing legal frameworks that cover the regulation and also liability for medical devices and even uh, high-tech medical devices. But we do see these frameworks start to become a little stressed uh, when confronted with some medical AI systems. So this is first because they are more dynamic than traditional medical devices and also more challenging to regulate. And then second, because they can provide human surgeons with decisions that are not completely transparent, making it really difficult to apply traditional liability rules. So uh, traditionally, the law will look, uh, as Sarah says, like for, for either static products under traditional legal frameworks to regulate or to human conduct to judge that conduct under traditional medical liability rules. And AI-driven tools don't always fit neatly into these two categories. So for example, using the Classica tool, um, this can provide potentially a surgeon with a cancer classification recommendation in real time, um, but either because of the complexity of the tool or because of the time constraint, the surgeon is not able to fully evaluate the reasons for the AI's decision. Um, and this is an example of where our research starts to show some weaknesses in the current legal framework, um, because the current framework largely assumes that human surgeons can always know and always fully evaluate in the time they have the basis for the AI's decision or recommendation. Yeah, and, and, and this can really lead to uncertainty and, and liability concerns for patients and surgeons alike. So the European Union is currently trying to uh, tackle uh, this issue of legal uncertainty for AI cost harm in a general sense. And Mindy and I wrote a paper uh, on the newly proposed EU liability directives that namely a product liability directive and also an AI liability directive. And our paper was recently published in NPG Digital Medicine, and we argue that the proposed directives fall really short of addressing liability for certain types of AI systems that use deep learning algorithms to produce output that might affect the patient's medical treatment. Uh, that's very interesting. Uh, we'll make sure that our listeners will get the link uh, to our paper. So how can you potentially reduce the risk of patient harm through introducing new AI tools in surgery unit, uh, in surgery that may outrun the law in terms of regulation and liability? 
Uh, yeah, that's a that's a great point, Iris. Uh, it's important to recognise, though, that the human surgeon still contributes a lot of diagnostic expertise to to the situation. This isn't an autonomous system that's going to commit a patient to an intervention, and it's not like the AI's decision exists in a vacuum. So uh, there's a there's a variety of, I suppose, in, indicators to a surgeon about what the best thing to do is. Uh, but what's happening here is that the AI is just giving an extra layer of information that wouldn't otherwise be present for the surgeon about the probability of the tissue in front of them being a cancer or not a cancer. There, there's, a, there's, there's other factors, though, too, including maybe what the tissue feels like, the, um, the demographics of the patient, the... Um, Sometimes patients will have had scans be before the operation. So there's there's a variety of factors that feature into a human al- algorithm. But this is one extra layer of the procedure of the of information right now. And rather than finding out afterwards, after you've taken out the, the polyp, what it turns out to be, what we're giving here is is an extra, I suppose, a, a, an extra layer of confidence to the surgeon that they're going to do the right thing for the right person at the right time. Yeah, and this also speaks to the role of the legal regulatory system. Of course, the law is concerned with compensating uh, injured patient under liability law, but then the other side of this coin is preventing potential injuries to begin with through pre-market regulation. Exactly, sir. And I think it's important to recognize that we we really shouldn't impose strict or absolute liability for doctors who practice medicine and use these AI-driven tools because we don't impose that sort of liability for them uh, for practicing medicine without these kinds of tools, right? Um, So if we did that, if we just said like, okay, it's all down to the surgeon, um, then the incentive to develop these, these tools that could, as, as Rona talks about, offer enormous benefits for patients and, and for surgeons um, treating patients might, might decrease. And so that's the concern. That's the concern we see that the EU recognized. And so there needs to be a balance. Um, but on the other hand, someone kind of needs to be on the frontier of trying to find that balance. And, and the, the clinical and, and tech and legal partners in this project, I think, are helping lead that charge. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's Certainly, the major goal of this project is to develop and test an AI tool that improves the current state of cancer diagnosis and and really leads to better patient outcomes. But that this is done as transparently as possible for surgeons in every way. So, of course, there's complexity of the technology, and that can offer risks and there's benefits. Um, and the risks here particularly stem for, from a lack of complete transparency. But it's really important we remember that all medical treatments entail a certain amount of risk. And the patient also is facing risk because of the disease, of the disease that, that we're trying to treat. And this is really part of why we do clinical trials to begin with, to make sure we understand and eliminate or mitigate risks as far as possible. This is also interesting. So where is the project now in terms of the clinical trial? Yeah, well, we've, we're recruiting patients in uh, five major cancer centres in Europe, and uh, it's, it's going well. Patients are quite un- understanding of the importance of, of, of the area, and they want to be involved in this. Uh, it's a graded risk trial, so the initial phases of it don't involve acting on the information that's being provided. But we're just because we want to make sure as best as possible that that information is accurate but in the over the next year we're going to move towards uh, acting on the information which means um, using the AI method to guide or target where we take biopsies from um, and then later on we'll actually be using it to guide where and how much the tissue that we take out 
So to do that uh, needs a very robust software method. So um, Arctur are our software par partners. They're a very renowned high uh, high powered com computing group. And they're really working through the quality assurance methods of the software, making sure that that information is accurate and uh, able to be pre presented in, in, in an understandable way. Um, it's great to have the legal and ethics teams working on the projects too, so that we understand where that fits in the framework of, of, of healthcare. And um, as you can imagine that uh, there's quite a lot of dis dis discussion between all the partners because it's a really important place to us. So the clinical protocol has been published um, and we're, yeah, we're moving on track. And the uh, ultimate goal is to get this technology into the OR? Yeah, of course. Uh, if the clinical validation succeeds, we really want to use this to improve outcomes in clinical practice because we know we can do better. And uh, how are you feeling as a surgeon about the legal uncertainty? Yeah, I mean, it's concerning to some extent, uh, but surgeons are used to dealing with responsibility and making decisions. But all the reasons that Sarah and Mindy uh, discuss um, are really important that they are considered and, and factored in. But really, as surgeons, our main focus is on using the technology to improve patient outcomes. And I guess to a large extent, though, we need those legal ch challenges uh, worked out through interdisciplinary com communication. And that includes even more broadly with uh, patients and, and, and the public to understand exactly what all these challenges are, uh, consider the technical, surgical, ethical and legal per perspectives. And uh, I mean, of course, we've already started to work on, on these on these issues. I mean, for example, the, uh, the classical team has already collaborated on a paper published in the BJS Open, uh, looking at all of the evidence to date of surgical video recording for patients um, and its implications for care, for surgeons, for society in, in, in general. Yes, and perhaps to add, um, so as legal researchers, we're also very interested in the perspectives of surgeons like uh, Ronan um, uh, and, and what they are thinking about uh, the liability concerns. And so in addition to working with our clinical partners uh, within the Classica project, we also conducted focus groups with surgeons to explore their perspectives on liability in connection with AI-driven technology. That's super cool. Uh, I personally look forward to hearing about this in the future. And we'll make sure that our listeners will get a link uh, to your paper in BGS Open. And where can we keep up with the project? Uh, so I think, yeah, the, the first place to go is to the Classica website. It's um, Classica, C-L-A-S-S-I-C-A, -S 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 project, P-R-O-G-E-C-T. Uh, dot eu so classicalproject.eu but you can also find us uh, on twitter and linkedin and both there the handle is classical project um, so we hope that you check out the website our listeners check out the website and follow us on social media and then of course uh, we cannot uh, conclude without mentioning that this project is funded by the european union um, and the views and opinions expressed are those of uh, the authors and the speakers today in this in this podcast episode um, and do not necessarily reflect those of the european union or the health and digital executive agency and that neither the european union nor the granting authority can be held for for our opinions uh here in this podcast today held responsible for them uh so yeah so so we really would love to to have everybody keep keep up with the project and uh get involved um to the extent that uh they can 
Thank you. And uh, thank you so much for being here. I think this is such an important uh, project and such an interesting and important topic uh, in our modern day and age. And I think that's a wrap on uh, this episode of Research Conversations. You can follow for more updates from the Digital Legal Lab by visiting the links in the description. Stay tuned for the next episode of Research Conversations. Okay.